Our scripture reading today comes from Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah 9, I'll give you some time if you've got a physical Bible and you're trying to make your way there. Maybe you've got a digital Bible that you're going to your table of contents and you're saying, wait, where is Nehemiah? Uh, We are actually in the same kind of place as we were last week. We're, We're actually reading a summary of the story that was right after what we were reading last time. Because uh, we are in the season of Lent. We are in the season of, of going on our way towards the cross and towards Easter Sunday. And last week we talked about the fact that uh, we don't normally associate blasphemy with the season of Lent, uh, but it is what Jesus is going to be charged with. And so last week we read from the Ten Commandments and its commandments about not using the Lord's name in vain. And so uh, let's read the story, the summary of the people of Israel and their response to God. Verses 16 and following. But they and our ancestors acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their necks and determined to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. Even when they had cast an image of a calf for themselves and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud that led them in the way did not leave them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night that gave them light on the way for which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouths and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Going down to verse 25. And they captured fortress cities and rich land and took possession of houses filled with all sorts of goods, uh, cisterns and vineyards and orchards and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs, killed your prophets who had warned them to turn back to you, and they committed great blasphemies." The word of the Lord. We began this series in God's name by talking about that we're supposed to respect God's name and voice and action. It's not just this kind of like, don't use this vocabulary, don't use these phrases, these kind of low-level profanities or whatever it might be, um, but that blasphemy is more than that. And the strangeness of how do I know if I'm going to respect God's name if I don't know who God is? And so Israel's trying to learn who God is, and the only thing that they could count on was they knew God had liberated them from Egypt. And in the summary story, we get God's liberating force and God's sustaining them in the wilderness, and yet, even on that same, that basic front of God, you are the liberating God, they were already still falling short of respecting God's liberation for their lives. And so before we get into the list of sins, the list of things that all actually contribute to a way of being blasphemous, a way of disrespecting God's name. I want to point out how powerful it is that, that the author here says that they, the they that's going to do all these wrong things, they are ancestors. 
of like incorporating yourself into uh, the tradition, the history of disobedience, of falling short of what God has for us. Uh, it's not just you look at all the things they've done, uh, but it's recognizing that that's a part of your own story, that's a part of your history, and identifying with these problems. And so we've got a lot of problems to mention that happened in the story. The first thing it says is they acted presumptuously. Other translations, they acted arrogantly. They acted proudly. And we all know uh, moments in our own life where we felt a little bit too proud, a little bit too, I've got a handle on things right before it just fell, (laughs) and we've just lost control. But there are people that, whether it's ourselves or those we've seen in our lives, who can't help but puff themselves up at any opportunity. They're always looking for a way to put their name as big as they can because it's about their reputation, their, their pride, their status. Think about ways that we can get our own credit for everything. Make sure I get the, the credit, the recognition that I need. And we want to boost that up. We want to keep puffing it up. And eventually we realize, like, wait, I... Where's God in this? Like, you know, as I keep making myself the hero of the story, I keep ignoring the one who helps enable me uh, to do all of these things. And so I, I do want to pause a little bit because sometimes we talk about pride and we say, you know, don't be so arrogant and things like that. And we don't realize we've ended up in a culture that doesn't know how to have any, like, self-confidence where everybody feels like I've just only can do bad things, I have nothing that I might do that God might do good things in me. And I want to just name that there's a difference between pride and confidence. Pride is making yourself big at the expense of other people around you. Confidence is being able to make yourself as big as everyone else. And so when you walk with this kind of presumption, with arrogance and pride, you're puffing yourself up and pushing other people down, and it ends up being also pushing God down. And so when we act with too much pride, we disrespect God's name because we're puffing up our own name at the expense of God's and those around us. And so when we celebrate our names more than any other, we end up blaspheming the name of God. They didn't just act presumptuously, though. They stiffened their necks. I love that the NRSV just keeps this kind of literal phrasing that the Hebrew Bible gives um, because this is kind of this language of stubbornness, of hardness. And I love that you can just imagine someone who's stiffened their neck. Like, I am not bending on this situation. So no matter what, they've just become stubborn. They won't change. And think about how often people in your life actually change. Like, so many times you're like, man, if they would just if they would just be a little bit more patient, if they would just do this thing and you just long for this person to have this one little change and it takes so long to ever see the hope of that. We are all very, very stubborn and it's like we understand and we like to like maybe scapegoat our stubbornness onto two-year-olds. We talk about terrible twos that we often just get taller. We don't actually necessarily grow out of our stubbornness and our tantrums. And we see it in public spaces, we see it in our workspaces, we see it in our families. That stubbornness and an inability to change just uh, flies in the face of God who keeps calling us to change, calling us to be transformed into something new. And yet we go around saying, I want to do it my way, I'm not changing. 
And so when we are stubborn and unyielding to God, we end up blaspheming God's name. There's another way of kind of talking about the stubbornness, the very next phrase it uses, they refuse to obey. Because there's that kind of stubbornness and that refusal of obedience here of just like, God, you can't tell me what to do. Sometimes we don't say it with invoking God's name. We kind of put other people into that sphere. But there's this, you just can't tell me what to do. And if you keep telling me what to do, I'm never going to do it. That stubbornness and disobedience going hand in hand. Um, But we all probably, if we were being honest with ourselves, have a list of things that we would tell God. God, I don't know that I can say yes to this. You're telling me to do this. Can I just ignore that command? Can I just ignore that request? Can I ignore this call on my life? Uh, We all end up with some things that are saying, God, I, I don't know that I can say yes to this. They refused to obey. They stiffened their necks. They acted presumptuously. And then the text says that they were not mindful of the wonders you performed among them. Uh, Obviously, in the context of Exodus, we're imagining uh, the miracles that bring about liberation, all of these signs and powers, and that God brought you out of this moment where you were enslaved into a new moment. And you've seen all of these things, and you immediately forget it. But we all do that, of like, we have those moments of joy of like, I can't believe God made a way And the next week, you're like, where's God? And you've just completely moved on. It's like, wait, what what has God ever done for me? And you just ignore all of the things that God has done. And it's just hard, unless you're intentional, to continue a spirit of gratitude. Like, it takes some intentionality to remind yourself, "What what has God blessed me with? What has God done? What should I be thankful for? And we become complacent, and we just start forgetting things. So one thing, if you just want an easy spiritual practice, is just every day, think about some things that you're grateful for and just thank God. Because it is easy to slip into forgetting and not being mindful. I love that phrasing, but not being mindful of the wonders that were performed. Because wonders were performed, we just tend to ignore them. And I think in our daily lives, like this last year has reminded us of a lot of things we should be grateful for. Like, you know, you're talking about essential workers, you know, of like, you know that fast food worker that maybe I was short with, maybe I disregard, maybe I don't care about their experiences as much as I should? Like, they help sustain my society. And like, my world falls apart when my grocery store workers can't work or when my pharmacy closes or whatever kind of, like, we are so wrapped up in communities that are reliant on each other. Like, we depend on each other. And yet we become so ignoring of how much we should be appreciating one another. Like, you can't do everything that you need in life. You rely on so many people around you. And God is at work in the midst of all of these things, and we just don't even notice. And I think about the parents, you know, who've sacrificed for their children, and it takes a long time for children to appreciate that. It takes a long time for children to really become mindful of like, wait, I see what you've You've, you've given up for me. I've seen what you've sacrificed for me. But we all do that in so many aspects of our lives. And when we forget to praise God's name, to celebrate what God has done, we end up blaspheming God's name. And so they acted arrogantly. They stiffened their necks. They refused to obey. They weren't mindful of the wonders that were around them. And I love that the text just gives the stiffened neck quote again. <laughs> but they stiffened their necks. Like, hey, if I haven't got this through, they're really stubborn. 
And we're really stubborn. Like, I just need to keep bringing that up. And so the text reminds us of the stubbornness. And then it gives this note, they determined to return to slavery in Egypt. And that's one of those ones that on the surface is really hard to understand. You're like, wait, God brought you out of slavery, took you out of this this system that was oppressing you, was overworking you, wasn't rewarding you, gave you freedom. And it's just a few weeks later, a few months, a few years later, you're like, man, I really wish I was in slavery again. But there, there's a reality to that situation that when times get hard and we have rosy colored glasses that we're like, man, you know that earlier situation, that was a lot easier, wasn't it? I wish I could just go back to that moment, which had its own problems. But can I just go back to Egypt as if hope is in the past? Like our faith is that God is bringing about God's kingdom and it's, it's beginning to emerge here, but it's not fully realized. Anytime we want to just go back, we're going in the wrong direction. It's like Jonah who's called to this place across, this, across the desert and he gets on a boat and goes the wrong way. Like when we want to go backwards in time, we run from where God is leading us towards freedom. And so we end up rejecting the gift that God gives us. It's like, you know, I want, I want slavery. Send me back. And the temptation for this is very real. And we think about um, those who struggle with addictions, of you can be for years past this and you feel like I've, I'm done with this, but it just takes one little moment of weakness on maybe I might rather go back to slavery. And it's really easy to return. And when we go the opposite direction of God's healing and God's liberation, we end up blaspheming, disrespecting God's liberation and God's name. They go beyond this. They, they don't just want to go back to slavery. They start making an image of a golden calf. And the, we're reading the summary version of Nehemiah, but if you go back to Exodus, like we were reading commandments and G- Moses is up on the mountain and he's getting all this covenant rules. And the last time you see the people of Israel is they're saying, God, we'll accept whatever you say, um, but we're a little bit too scared to get close to you. We'll trust Moses. Talk to Moses. The next time we see the people, they're already breaking everything. They're already moving on to another God. They're, they're going to make their own God. They're already saying, this calf took us out of Egypt. And when you think about how impatient they were and how impatient we are, like Moses is supposed to be gone 40 days in this story, and 40 days was enough to move on from God. It's like, God, are you ever going to move? I guess I'm just going to have to do something here. You think about how, like, maybe even for us in this last year, of it is hard to be patient, especially when you don't know when the end point is, Right? But to think about, like, they spent 40 years in the wilderness and trying to imagine, like, spending a generation of time and traveling in a wilderness of being led wherever God might lead, but not being fully home to a promised land. Like, how hard is it for us to be patient, for us to wait on what God might, might bring in, in, in our midst? And so in our impatience, we end up acting uh, wrongfully sometimes. We end up going the wrong direction. But it wasn't just that they were impatient and wanted to make a golden calf. They also wanted the control of it. Because it's like, it's hard to control the invisible God. But if I make something that's physical, I can take it wherever I want. I get to control it. 
And sometimes I want to mold God's image into the image that I want to make. So they physically craft God's image into something that they can shape themselves. And maybe most painfully, they give credit that was deserving of God to something else. And that's easy to slip into as well. Sometimes when you feel like, man, my savings, I, I did a great job on my finances, and, and so like, look at how great I've been here, or um, whatever kind of situation where you feel like, now I deserve full credit here. And when you forget what wonders God has done in your midst, and we start making up our own golden calf, where we're like, that golden calf, which is like my job, or my house, or whatever it is that, that we want to celebrate and worship in our lives instead of God, Say, hey, this is what really brought me freedom. Not God, this thing. This is God. And these people who want to follow after God get the summary statement at the end of this passage of how they've fallen short, and they had committed great blasphemies. That's just kind of the closing thought of all of this behavior. And they committed great blasphemies. The thing is, is that it's not just about them. It's part of our story. It's not a part of the story that we want to live into, but it's a story we want to uh, recognize, to repent of, and to move past. And so while Israel has been faithless in this story, and while we have had moments of faithlessness, God is always faithful. And I love the contrast that happens in the passage. Here's all the ways that Israel's fallen short, but God. And I love it's talking to God, and there's this like, prayer-like just devotion that's in this text. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You did not forsake them. It's like, I get you had every reason to, to just be done with this, be done with these people, be done with me. But you, God are forgiving, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and faithful. It's the reminder of why God's name deserves the respect. Like why God's name deserves to be lifted up. It's the same kind of statement that we want to celebrate, that we also want to avoid. I mentioned Jonah earlier going in the wrong direction. That kind of verse I just quoted is why Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh in that story. He goes, I knew you were gracious. I didn't want to go to my enemies and preach about you because you were just merciful. And so the very thing we celebrate about God, we sometimes struggle uh, to accept, to accept into our daily life, let it infiltrate all of our being. And so I think we need to, to celebrate who, God's, who God is and what God's name signifies because I don't think we get in our context how uh, subversive it is to say these things about who God is. Like, no disrespect to, um, because there are, are, are things that God was at work in in the midst of other cultures, in the midst of other peoples, but the gods of the Greeks and the Romans and the Persians and the Egyptians, they did not have the same characteristics as the God of Abraham. The God that, that, that the people are celebrating stands in contrast to the gods that were around and were being celebrated in the world around them. In a world that can't get past grudges, it is subversive to declare that God is forgiving. 
Like think about any time where you've longed for forgiveness to be evident in the world and in your life and those around you. How hard it is to be forgiving and to say God is forgiving. Praise God's name. In a world that always wants like kickbacks and incentives to do something, like what do I get out of it? It is subversive to say that God is gracious, free gift, unconditional. Praise God's name. In a world of all sorts of harsh punishments, where if somebody steps wrongly, we go to the harshest form of punishment as quickly as we can. Uh, in a world of, of, of death penalties and life sentences and solitary confinement, all sorts of our highest levels of punishment. What is it to subversively say that God is merciful? In a world filled with outrage and indignation, think about how much outrage you see uh, in media, on your social media walls, and the people in your life, it is subversive to say that God is slow to anger. Man, could we use a little slowness to anger? Praise God's name. And in a world that invents new ways to hate each other, it is subversive to say that God is abounding in steadfast love. Praise God's name. In a world that disappears or abandons you, when things get tough, it is subversive to say that God won't forsake you, that God is always faithful. Praise God's name. And celebrate that about God. And this passage celebrates that about God and notes that God is that even when we are at our worst. And it says that in the text, even when they had cast an image of a calf in themselves and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt, even when they had committed great blasphemies. That's who God is, the loving, merciful, gracious God. And what was God like while we pushed God away? Even when, still, God, you and your great mercies didn't forsake them. You made a pillar of cloud that led them by day and a pillar of fire by night that gave them light with which way to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold manna and food from their mouths. You gave them water to drink. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. And again, the imagery. Like, you know that feeling where you work too hard and your feet swell up and you're like, I can't walk anymore. Like, God has been so good that God has comforted your life so well that your feet weren't even swelling and you had all these possessions and vineyards and fruit trees, and you ate and filled them or became fat and delighted yourselves in God's great goodness. And yet, another time in the text, nevertheless, even with how good God is, nevertheless, they were disobedient. Again, they rebelled against you. They cast your law behind their backs. Again, that turning the other direction. They killed your prophets who warned you to turn back, and they committed great blasphemies. In the face of a gracious God, we are all tempted to disrespect God's name, to run from God's goodness, which we know brings blessing, and yet which we often hide from. And so I want to zoom out in this story, the story of God's faithfulness and our faithlessness, to say why we read this version from Nehemiah. Uh, you might not be familiar with the context of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is written around the 400s and 500s. It's like Israel has come back from exile. 
So the temple gets destroyed, they get uprooted from their homes, they get taken into slavery, and they eventually get liberated. They go back home, and they're trying to figure out, how do we live faithful now? Like, how do we rebuild the temple, rebuild our cities, rededicate our community to God? And so they see themselves like the people in Exodus who have been liberated, entered a land, and I got the cautionary tale of how this can go wrong. Maybe we might turn today. Maybe we might repent. Maybe we might do something differently this time. And so Nehemiah 9 begins, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, like discomforting clothes, like so discomforting that it's supposed to remind you, I'm supposed to be praying, I'm supposed to be repenting, I'm supposed to be fasting. And with earth on their heads. And I love this because, like, this isn't the lectionary reading for Ash Wednesday, but, like, shouldn't it be a little bit, you know? <laughs> right? Of, like, they've put the earth, the dust on their heads. They're in sackcloth. They're asking repentance, and they're, they're fasting. And it says, the people gathered and, quote, stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their ancestors. Like, how often do we go back in time to admit our sins? Like, like it's hard enough to say our own sins, but they're like, here's the system that we've inherited that has been sinful. Here's how our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents, and like we have been descended from people who are just like us, who have messed things up. We need to repent of that thing too because it's not just me personally, but us as a whole community have stuff to repent of. And it says then that they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth part of the day, six hours. I want to ask, how many of us, if we set up even, let's say, Easter Sunday, we're going to gather together, maybe we'll just do Ash Wednesday since we want the repentance fear. You know, Ash Wednesday, let's gather together. We're going to spend six hours reading Scripture together. How many of us are on board? I got six hours I'm going to give for repentance, for reading Scripture. And then here, and for another fourth of the day, another six hours they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. I love the jointness of that, that confession is about worship too. That celebrating God's name is also the reminder that like, we're supposed to repent of some things. We're supposed to move away because God's goodness is so great and we haven't lived up to it. And so they, they spent this 12-hour day praying that God might give them a new direction, that we might not relive the sins of our past. We might do something differently this time. And so the priests, the Levites, stand up, and they talk to the people, and they say, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And it's in this list of all these names of people standing up, but they're saying, hey, none of our names matter. Blessed be God's name. We continually relive out this scene. We keep being gathered back together and saying, man, we just keep falling short of living out the good news that God keeps inviting us into. The season of Lent is that invitation to go back to God. Maybe we've turned our backs on the law. Maybe we've turned our backs on uh, God's goodness and love and grace. We've turned the opposite direction. We've found ourselves quick to anger. We've found ourselves without mercy, without love. This is a moment to go back to God, to assemble together, 
to speak truth about where we've fallen short, not just to reminisce, but so we can actually turn away from it and turn away from that slavery that we've left behind towards God's goodness and love. And so this week, maybe you just spend some time um, being intentional about confession of like, what are the things in my life that I need to just admit aren't living up to what God uh, is calling me into? Not calling me into because God just is stern and doesn't like me, but God wants the best for me. And God knows what's best for me and is inviting me into a better way of life. So what words, what actions have we disrespected God and God's name? Confess those things. Spend each day praising God's name, speaking truths about who God is. Maybe just reading that verse from Nehemiah 9, just continually throughout the week saying, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and you do not forsake them or me. Just let the, the praise of God's name be so lived out, so spoken in your life that maybe it might take root and maybe you might start turning. Maybe you might start living out a little more mercy, a little more love. And as we declare that, may it be true in us as we reflect God's attributes in the world around us. And lastly, we just can't let repentance be a performative act that I just need to say it out loud and go through enough like, emotions that look like I'm sad about it, but like turning, repenting, is to actually go a different path. Follow into the life and the love that God offers you. Embrace it. Stop turning back towards slavery and live into God's liberation and God's love. And so I just want to conclude with saying again the, the, the blessing from the Levites here. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, God, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we seek to be mindful of the ways in which you have blessed us. Help us to not forget your goodness and your love. Help us to not become complacent and ignoring of your embrace that is always there for us. Lord, help us to not only be reminded of your love, but to extend your love to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our church members. Lord, help us to be like you. Help us to leave behind the ways of slavery, the ways of, of things that lead to destruction. Leave those things behind to follow after your cross, your liberation, and your life. Help us to follow in the ways of Jesus. Lord, I ask that you might encourage and give some strength where people feel depleted. I know for some of us, we feel like, man, I, I feel like I keep coming back about the same problems, the same mistakes I make, Lord. Lord, we ask for healing. We ask for, for strength where we have weakness, that your name might be praised. Lord, not just individually. But Lord, help us to pray with awareness of the way you've blessed us communally and the ways that we've failed you communally. Lord, help us to be a people who celebrate your name. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.